And that principle sort of gave me permission to explore things in a different way, not right or wrong, but is it effective for me? And that was, that was a, that was a big one. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, everyone. I'm so glad you're back here to listen and um, really appreciate you continuing to share. And as I've shared on a couple other podcasts, there's a really interesting new platform for us podcasters, kind of like a Tinder for podcasters, um, where we can find others who are um, that we'd like to be a guest on their show or we'd like them to be our a guest on our show. And so today, uh, Kristen Elliott is joining me. Uh, we found each other on matchmaker.fm. And um, I was immediately um, wanted to chat with her because she has a podcast about eating disorders and um, uh, wonderfully named Starving Ed, uh, which is interesting. We'll talk about that later. But um, again, on a mission similar to mine and that we want to get the word out about the struggles of eating disorders and really share that story of hope that there is hope for recovery, hope for a better life, hope for a better tomorrow. So Kristen Elliott, thank you for joining me today on my podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm always excited to have these conversations with other people. I think they're really important conversations to have uh, because there is so much stigma, I think, still around eating disorders. And the more we can talk about them, obviously, the better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as we talked a little bit before we jumped on here, just the idea that I think some people think of eating disorders that, oh, well, there's these people that have eating disorders and they've, you know, bad, sick, not bad, but you know, they're, they're bad disorders or they're in a real struggle and they're in a treatment center. And there is this space of disordered eating, if you will, right? And where people aren't necessarily sick so that they have to be in a treatment, but there's still some disorder there. And as we often share, it's not about the food. It's really about the behaviors and the emotion behind that. And we'll get into that as well um, mm -hmm. as time goes on here. But let's, let's start with the story as we always do here. You know, let's start with your story. Mm -hmm. You do have a story yourself of an eating disorder and which has brought you to, again, trying to help, you know, working to help other people. So I'd love for you to start Start with that as we, you know, begin this conversation together. Sure, I'm happy to. So it started, I am, I'll start by saying I am 45 now. And my eating disorder started when I was 18 years old. And I finally went into treatment at 38. So I've only been in, not only, but I've been in recovery for about seven years now and had the eating disorder for 20. So it spans quite a long time, my journey. And if I think about life before the eating disorder, I would say that I grew up in a very diet-focused culture. 
and I certainly think that played into uh, things I've learned about food, about eating, about health. Um, but I do think that my eating disorder was also very much about a personal identity issue of low self-esteem, didn't know who I was, didn't know where I fit into life. Um, and so those younger years growing up, I'm in this diet culture and everything and always wanting to lose weight and be special in some way. And when I was 18 at the end of high school is when I went on yet another diet, but I don't remember it being particularly difficult, but I do know that I did not eat a great deal at all. And within a very short period of time, I'd lost a significant amount of weight. And it was like, bam, it started from there. Because once I'd lost that weight, and the recognition I got from it, and the feeling of having something that other people wanted, I guess, it was just intoxicating like how could I let that go and maybe it was that I'd spent so much of my childhood sort of feeling not seen that now that I was being seen I was not going to let that go and it just it hung on for dear life and I it, I guess it started in restrictive anorexia over the years developed into bulimia binge purge type but at the onset of the eating disorder, I thought, you know, I'm doing something not good here. It's not good for me. I don't like it, but I'll be able to stop. And so 20 years goes by and I'm looking for some way to eat better. I, like, I have it in my head that it's this problem with the way I eat. I don't, I don't know how to eat properly. And so I'm looking for some diet to fix this problem, which it's a little uh, paradoxical, but mm -hmm. um, never did find it. And I keep thinking, you know, not another day. I can't do this another day. And years pass and years pass and years pass. And it's like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm becoming a statistic, if you will. And that was a big fear of mine that I did not want to be a statistic. And I guess in some ways, this is sort of a carried out theme is that I didn't want to be forgotten like that or remembered like that, if you will. And um, kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. And over the years, I would go and see therapists and uh, naturopaths and try and fix something. I don't know what I was trying to fix. And I still wasn't able to get back on track. And it was around when I was 37 that, you know, it was like everything came together mentally, physically, emotionally, psychologically. I was just falling apart. And, you know, that was sort of the crossroads I have an option here and can keep going or I can find somebody else who can help me because I obviously, after 20 years, do not know how to get myself out of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many, you know, I, I listen to your story and it just, you know, s some similarities to, you know, my story as I was growing up and um, just, uh, I think, again, things that led to me, um, to my low self-esteem and to, I mean, I've always, I've always wanted to be, I didn't realize this till, you know, as I got older and looked back on that and did some healing, if you will. But just, I really, I thought, I felt 
I was different than my siblings Mm -hmm. and I am, but I looked at it as really as a negative thing and that, you know, but I, and I was trying to get attention from me, like, well, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And it's okay if I'm not like this, it's okay if I'm not analytical and that I don't really care for numbers and things like that, which Mm -hmm. all my siblings are. Um, And it's okay for what I'm doing. And, um, and was always, again, as no one can see this, because this is just, you're just listening, but where I'm Mm -hmm. raising my hands, like, like, pay attention to me, like, hey, I'm over here, and I'm okay. And I think, you know, I just know for myself, that's what I struggled with, not knowing, you know, now that I'm looking back, I saw that that's really what I did struggle with in that, in that space of my junior high, high school years, before I went away to college. And, um, and then I was kind of like on my own in college and like wondering how I was supposed to make these decisions and not really feeling close to my mother that I could call and, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, there's some, I think that some listeners are probably thinking, oh yeah, that sounds like me too. Some similar, you know, similar type of things. And again, just that denial part of it that like, it's not that bad, right? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be able to you know, mm-hmm. and, and looking, you know, it gets me frustrated many times is like looking for that next best thing, like, mm-hmm. oh, the next best diet, or maybe it's the intermittent fasting now, or maybe it's the keto, or maybe it's the, I don't know, grapefruit, or maybe it's the whatever, right? That's going to yeah. lead to all of the answers to all of our problems, right? All of our problems. Absolutely. And I don't know why, I had it in my head that another diet would be the solution. And yeah, the farther I get away from it, the clearer things become now. And I can see just how invisible I felt in the world and not seen. And then um, to have recognition, like I, I, I wouldn't have told you at the time that that's what I was seeking or that's what I was after, but I certainly can look back and say, oh, I just needed somebody to to see me. I needed to feel felt by somebody, and I, I don't think I did. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, what I've learned certainly through my journey here of interviewing different people with eating disorders as well as other addictions, I mean, it is... There, it's a similar type of experience that we're having and we choose, you know, maybe we choose the food, to, you know, to eat or not eat, or we choose the alcohol or the drugs or the, you know, the video games or the sex or whatever it is. We choose something to somewhat numb ourselves out, you know, of the dissatisfaction that we're experiencing in the world. And, or I've also seen it that like, so that you can get attention. Like mm-hmm. even like I would think of, I don't remember if you have children or not, but, um, you know, with my children, I remember that as a young parent, you know, the kids would misbehave and, you know, you're like, yeah, and then they're getting all the attention from mom or dad or the teacher. And you learned that even if it was bad attention, they were getting attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. I, um, that's interesting. Cause when I, when I was, if I think about that, I don't think I did anything to seek attention in that way. Um, I just knew that I wasn't, it just sort of felt invisible. And it might have been because my parents were, go, my parents did not have a happy marriage. So for most of my childhood, it was sort of volatile and I never knew where things stood. 
And so they were dealing with their own issues. But um, yeah, I do think there's a big identity piece with much of what we go through. And when we can sort of hit those moments of being able to feel those raw feelings of what we want to feel, but are never taught to feel, then that's where some pretty, pretty great um, transformation happens. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I, um, that's, I think the wisdom of perhaps sometimes getting older. And again, like you said, being far enough away from it to be able to look back and, and being brave enough to be vulnerable, you know, peel back the layers, open ourselves up. Um, That's a scary place to be Mm -hmm. in, right. Mm -hmm. To just be that exposed and that vulnerable, but that's really where the true healing can, mm-hmm. can happen, mm-hmm. you know, if we can um, really look at that and look at things in a little bit different perspective. Absolutely. It's important to, we didn't do a lot of talking about anything growing up. And even in my young adult years, did very little communication or talking about things, talking about feelings. I didn't know how to do that at all. And um, yeah, certainly something I had to learn later in life. But in learning to do that, it's, I guess, what drove me into doing the podcast and stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but uh, how important those conversations are, because I don't think they're had enough. You know, I, I, again, completely agree. And, and you know, that I just, um, you know, I just honored my mother yesterday. Um, She died and we, um, uh, we honored her and um, celebrated her. And again, so, so much reflection on my part as I was uh, looking to speak at her service and again, just look back on our years together. And I often would say that, that we didn't really talk about the bad stuff. Um, She was English, the English very proper, you know, you just go on with life. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure it's not just the English, but certainly that was my experience. And so it is, you don't, unless you find, like, I remember either going through in my early 20s, as I got out of college, and I started to feel better about myself and, um, you know, grow into a young adult and my career and all that. Uh, I was in medical sales, I was in nursing and then in medical sales. And I, there was a gal that I worked with at one of the hospitals, but she kind of became my, a, like, a, like a friend. She was significantly older than me, mm-hmm. but like I would find my way to my, her office kind of at the end of the day. And we would just sit and we'd close the office and we'd talk. And she was just like a, it was all, I don't know if I would necessarily call her a, you know, a pseudo mom or anything, but Mm. she was just somebody that I could talk to and that she was just open and really honest. And we just laughed and talked. And it was just, again, I would find myself back to her office, you know, if I was in the area and I'm like, I'm going to go to Dorothy's office and we'd sit and talk. And it was such valuable, valuable time for me um, at that time in my twenties where I was still kind of figuring out what I was doing in life, mm-hmm. although I may be still doing that too. But, you know, it was just a good mentor, if you will, for me. And I, and I didn't have that. I didn't have that with my own mother um, or my father. And mm-hmm. even with my siblings, we just didn't, you know, we're closer now, now that we've gone through this couple of months of taking care of our mother and helping my dad make decisions. Like we're really a lot closer now and talk mm-hmm. about some things. And it's been really great. But boy, in our 20s, yeah, forget it. No. Right? Yeah, I know. It certainly evolves over time. You either change or don't. And I, I wouldn't say my family is 
our big communicators right now, at least not amongst ourselves, but I think in our all of us in our own way have become better communicators in general of what's going on inside us. And yeah, that's that's important to have those people to sit and yeah, I think that was something I missed in my in my childhood and growing up over the years is not having that someone to sit down with and just like share. Well, and it was safe, right? It, yes. it, it was a safe, at least with me, myself and Dorothy. And um, bless her heart. I mean, she must have <laughs> shared that with her family because I lost track of her. I mean, occasionally we get, you know, Christmas cards from each other. And, but, you know, I moved on from medical sales, stayed home, you know, family. But I would, but then, I don't know, several years later, again, I'm saying that in quotes, I don't even, because I lost track of her, but I got a note, I got a card from her like one of her daughters and I had a picture of her in there and it said, I just want to let you know that Dorothy passed and, mm. you know, just, I mean, I still have the card over there. Cause it just meant so much. I was like, Oh, she mm-hmm. remembered us, you know, and we, ha- that was a special bond that we had mm-hmm. and um, that she must've shared with her, you know, with her family too. So those are special, um, special relationships and, you know, can really help us in our life. I mean, you talked about identity and, again, I've heard from many other people that there is that kind of lost identity. Say, for instance, um, again, I know a couple of my guests have been athletes and they've gotten injured or they've had to stop for whatever reason. That was their identity. So they lost their identity and they decided to, and that started their struggle. Or And or it's been like so long in this struggle that's their identity of mm. well I'm the one with the eating disorder or I'm the one that drinks a lot or I'm the one that's super loud with this and all that so you talked about that but was there a point that because you said you were searching for that identity like was there a point that was kind of like you know the not necessarily the the switch flipped or you chose to like look at okay this is what I'm going to become then or you know what I'm saying it's like how did things start to change then 20 years later then well it's interesting because I think at the time I thought the eating disorder was my problem I thought that was the reason I was so unhappy and if I could just get rid of the eating disorder then life would be wonderful and so because of my state of health Physically, mentally, emotionally at that time, I really, I reached out for help and did a outpatient treatment group at that time. But then what I found is that eating disorder recovery or the absence of symptoms didn't make me happy. So there was, I'm stuck with this confusion again at the end of treatment and thinking, you know, I thought recovery was supposed to make me happy and I'm still left with this horrible, deep unhappiness. Now, I do have um, clinically diagnosed major depressive disorder, but I, I don't, before treatment, I don't think I had even recognized that part of me. So, When I started to take away the behaviors of the eating disorder, I'm left with all these deep, huge emotions that I have no idea what to do with. And they are deep and they are dark and I don't know how to communicate about them or anything. And so going through all that depression and surfing those moods 
was sort of part of the journey because I'm thinking, well, if I'm not happy, what's going to make me happy? And then I and then I went through points where maybe nothing's going to make me happy. Maybe unhappiness is who I am. And, you know, you go th- through all these lines of questioning. But then I think it was even probably four years ago or a little bit more. It wasn't too long after I had originally started treatment, maybe a couple years in, where I thought, okay, there's more going on here. And then so it was sort of like a, and this is what I call recovery now, a recovery discovery journey, if you will, because it's more about me discovering truly the things that I like and like authentically choosing because I want to and not because I think somebody else wants me to. And I found a lot of that in my head, all these ideas about why am I making this choice? And a lot of them, it comes back to because that's what I've been told I need to do. And so I'm just unraveling from that even now. But I never I never got to a point where, you know, oh, it was career or I needed to do this or I needed to do this to find myself. I sort of have found myself apart from any of those things. So there isn't one thing that defines me, but there's a sense, which is remarkable to me because the, t- the depression is horrible, but there's this sense of me that is separate from it all. And so it's, it's kind of a nice little place, even when everything else is chaotic, if, if that makes any sense <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think it does. I, um, again, I think it does. And I think what I want you know, I've, I've heard a few times before, and I really like what you said in that it's, or within that is this, this fact that this is a, any type of recovery is a journey. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, unfortunately, we can't just flip that switch and it's like over. It's like, okay, we're going to work with this now. Or my niece who's in recovery, she says, I'm just going to take the next, I'm going to do the next best thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if it might be today, might be this hour, might be this week and perhaps then work on that. And then, like you said, discover, maybe there's something else you discover within that. And it's kind of exciting mm-hmm. because it sounds like from what you're saying, you're discovering more of who you are, but, and yet who you who you can become. It's not like this mm-hmm. are like this, who I am finite. That's it. But who you, who's in there? And then like exciting, like who, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want to do? Maybe discover this, maybe do this. And being intentional, I wrote that down, like intentional with your choices. Yeah, intentional with choices is certainly a big one. I... Yeah, there's no there's no finite end to it. And I think that's one of been one of the most liberating things about the journey that I've come across is that there isn't an end to it. It's and that's what I had in my head all the time. Recovery just meant an end of the bad stuff and then everything good can could begin. And you know, life is just a, a mix of it all and so being open to the experiences of what comes your way and saying, oh, this is where I'm at. And then making those intentional choices. Do I want to choose that or don't I? And recognizing that I actually can make a choice, some harder than others, because again, those ideas and beliefs go really, really deep about why you should choose one thing or the other. But even being in a position to see that, yeah, the choice is actually 
mine <laughs> and I can make it. And if I decide once I've made it, I want to make another choice, I can do that too. Like there is no finality to it. And thank mm-hmm. God there isn't. <laughs> right, right. And I, well, I've seen some frustrations too, just on my own with, as I've watched the treatments and gotten to know different treatment centers and modalities and whatnot. It's almost like, again, you have this, like they're in treatment, you have to do what everybody says, right? And so your mm-hmm. choices are not yours. You know, you mm-hmm. have to follow that. And then you're out of treatment. It's like, it's almost like there's this, oh yeah, now, now do it all on your own and, but follow, follow what they said, but now everything's better. And like, it's just, I don't think there's enough discussion of this. Like, okay, we're going to put, you're going to be out here, but that doesn't mean it's over. Like Mm -hmm. it still means, you know, I don't know. I could go on and on about kind of Mm -hmm. the discharge planning, if you will. And in that transition time, and just educating, you know, the patient, if you will, about what's going to happen as they go home, but also like, like educating the family and like, what does that look like? I've had so much frustration with daughter comes home and it's like, you know, okay. And so we're kind of looking at her like, okay, so is it all good? And, mm-hmm. and it's not, I mean, we all need to be educated on these this transition time. And again, the reality of what it's going to look like and how we can support ourselves, how we can support our child, Mm -hmm. you know, that child, if you will, that patient that comes out, how can they support themselves Mm -hmm. to be realistic about all of it? Yeah, I know. I think there was, or there is, and I know it's, I certainly misunderstood what treatment meant. Um, I thought it would be a fix, like something like a broken bone. You go in, you get a cast, and then it's not all good, but give it a little bit of time and it'll be good. But it's just so much longer and more complex than that. And I don't know if I can mention it now about my podcast. Sure, yeah. It's just that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start my podcast is because I felt so blindsided a little bit by treatment and that I was hearing these stories of recovery that made it sound like people would go into treatment, they'd be fixed or cured and then be fine. And I'm thinking, why am I struggling so bloody much? Like, I was struggling. It was horrible. And I felt like I was the problem i was i was doing something wrong and that's why i think it's so important to share these stories is no it's not just that way there's so much more like listen to these stories and and you can learn so much from the different experiences it's not it's not just a an open and closed case of things mm-hmm. yeah so you just so you started the podcast so that you could sh- share those stories uh, from yourself or from others or? I wanted to be able to share story. I wanted everybody to be able to have a voice and not just like one representation of recovery. I think that's the important thing uh, because certainly there are people who haven't struggled as much and others have and Every experience, whatever it is, I feel is incredibly valid, but everybody's journey is different. Like why we're going through these things is for different reasons. Like what is it I have to figure out for me? What does that person have to figure out for them? 
everybody has a different reason for what it is they're going through. And so I, I just wanted a place to be showcasing experience rather than just one particular way where I think we can sort of get um, one track vision or tunnel right. vision of these things that it just looks this way and that it's nice and clean and then be done with it. And it's just right. not. Well, and I have said myself in the past that I almost kind of feel like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't really, maybe I didn't have an eating disorder. Maybe it was just some, because mm-hmm. it wasn't really that bad. Right. But when I think back on it, yes, it was, it was, I was in a bad place emotionally, my self-concept, my self-esteem, there was struggles there. And I chose, that was what I chose to restrict. And so it was, it doesn't, and it doesn't matter if it, for me, perhaps lasted two years or or 10 years, or it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody like yours lasted 20 years. So that doesn't give yours like, oh, well, that's the eating disorder. I don't Mm -hmm. really have it. Like we all, and that's what I love about what you do is that, yeah, we want to give light to all of it Mm -hmm. because someone may hear something from your story that's so valuable that they've never heard before mm-hmm. that said, mm-hmm. Oh, that gives them permission to be okay with exactly where they're at and then show them that, okay, there is a, you can take a path forward and it may look different than mm-hmm. that person that's next to you. And that's okay. Right. And it probably will look different mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I was just, you were on my podcast few weeks ago and Mm -hmm. your episode is actually airing this Monday and so I was doing some editing today and you mentioned that again I was listening to that where you said that you know the further you got away from it you would be thinking oh it wasn't that bad and I think that's such a dangerous mindset too that's important to highlight is that yeah it doesn't matter whether you've had it for a day or 100 days or 50 years, like there is nothing cool about an eating disorder at all. <laughs> like there's just, I, I, I just bought the book Sick Enough. I've never read it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that book, yep. And I'm curious to read it because I think, yeah, there's a lot of misinformation. And even I'm hearing people still, their doctors are telling them, well, if your BMI were just this much lower, then we could send you to treatment. And like, there's these hard classifications. And it's just, you know, I get the systems, it's financially driven and politically driven, much of healthcare. Uh, but the eating disorders aren't. And in approaching it that way, you miss the human experience of it. It's It's just... Uh, you're you're sick enough. If you think you're you have an issue, you probably have a really you probably do. <laughs> right, right. And it's it is it is frustrating. I, I've again, my daughters. We've been in this journey for six years, and um, you know, this last year has been very frustrating because I've seen that, and it probably is because of um, this pandemic and the struggles that people are going through is just you know, that much more. There are so many struggles. Someone just, I can't remember who it was, but I saw something on a support groups page that um, an actress just recently, mm-hmm. you know, died. Nikki and, Graham? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. And she, and it was because of her isolation and, 
and not being able to go to the gym and, and whatnot, you know, during this COVID time. So there's, there's so much more struggle. And so I found, we found that as we were trying to find another place for my daughter, those restrictions, if you will, or those things that you had to check off all of those boxes, there were so many more. And, you know, going to a place where my daughter definitely needed the support because of some other mess up and she didn't have her medication, they weren't shipped. It was just like, okay, she's going through like detox as well as being an, I mean, it's just, I need, we need some help. Mm -hmm. And after we went through the evaluation at this place, they said, well, you know what? We probably have to have some lab work done and probably have to have some, I'm like, what? Like Mm -hmm. she is clearly, but they- They Mm -hmm. said, well, when we don't really have space for it anyway, even if we could, if, you know, Mm -hmm. so let's get the lab work done. I was like, that was just another qualifier or whatever. And called, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just doing a little bit of itching here, but, Mm -hmm. you know, then called her psychiatrist to happen to be on a weekend. And again, she had come home from a treatment place. They didn't, they said they were overnighting the meds because they didn't want to send her home with them. And they never arrived when they were supposed to, because they put the incorrect address. (laughs) So she doesn't have her meds. So I call the psychiatrist's office on the weekend, Saturday night, probably 10 o'clock. I said, could you please call him and let him know this situation? Like she is kind of going through like a detox. She hasn't had them for like three and she's really struggling. Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, we don't make uh, phone calls to the doctors for a refill request on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Like, hello, hello. Yeah. This isn't like a typical I mean, come on. Do you under, I said, let me tell you again. And mm-hmm. she wouldn't, she wouldn't break the rules. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. Yeah. I know it wasn't a podcast about the, but there are, but I think these are the realities of what we're dealing mm-hmm. with. And if a parent's listening to this, perhaps they can understand that it. it's like this frustration with, mm-hmm. like you said, okay, my daughter's not sick enough. Like, and even my daughter said that to me, she goes five years ago when I was coming here, they admitted me just like that. And mm-hmm. I wasn't even half as sick as I am mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's scary. Very, very scary that you have to almost be in a critical place in order to get help. And that's unfortunate because, um, you know, for, for me, I think like I was high functioning for 20 years, but like it took a toll, like it takes a toll. And I think the sooner you can address things like that and like, I don't know why there's limits on how sick you need to be. It's just really, oh, I know it's, it's so difficult. <laughs> Very frustrating. Yes. Um, but we, I want to give some light before we, you know, wrap things up with this too, um, because you talk about yoga Um, Mm -hmm. and mindfulness. And I Mm -hmm. love to talk about yoga and I love yoga. Um, I know it has provided so much healing for me in my life. And so, and I found that with many um, as they've recovered, they found a place in yoga that, and that piece that it brings you. So let's talk about that. Like, how did you, how'd you find yoga and how has that really helped you along your life journey? I've had a love hate relationship with yoga. So it hasn't all been pleasant. I originally started yoga just dabbling on my own and, you know, over years my interest grows and I was really looking for a practice that I could do at home on my own because I'm not the most social person. I didn't want to have to go out to the gym. I just wanted something that I could do in the comfort of my own home that was focused and intentional for me and I came across Ashtanga yoga, which is 
if you've heard of it or know of it, it's quite vigorous. And it is. Mm-hmm. I've done it a couple of times at one yeah. of the studios here. Yeah. And so, and I'm not, and I, I don't say anything bad about Ashtanga yoga, but I went into it with the mind of someone with an eating disorder who is very black and white, who takes things to extremes. And so I used yoga in that way and caused more damage. And there was just something underneath that, though, that was giving me more inner awareness through the practice that I knew was important. But over time, I realized, you know, Ashtanga is not something I can physically and mentally do. Like, it's it's almost like torturing myself doing it. And so I had to explore different kinds of yoga, different purposes for yoga. I know people recovering from eating disorders often have a hard time with exercise and I did too. Where is what is why am I doing this activity? And for so long it was because you got to try and keep your weight at a certain level and you do that through physical activity. Like that's all physical activity has ever been. And so I had to find this new relationship with movement and why am I doing it? And I started exploring different avenues of yoga and two that I have come across and that I continue to practice and implement various principles, if you will, into my own practice is something called adaptive yoga. Um, There's a organization in Minnesota called Mind Body Solutions and they focus on using yoga to heal and transcend trauma and disability. But they present, and I went for training a few weeks in Minnesota over a period of time, and they helped me to see yoga in a different way as a way to experiencing myself. Like the purpose in adaptive yoga is to experience four basic sensations and this is like really narrowing it down, but grounding, expansion, rhythm, and balance. And when I could focus on that, it helped me, that's, you know, get on my mat and think, okay, this is all I'm doing. I'm just looking for these particular sensations and not knowing what they were took me out of my head, trying to give them fancy names and experiences and put me back into my body and sort of having those visceral experiences that I had been so cut off from for so long. And so I started to sort of feel my, my, the connection grow, if you will, between right. that mind body, like starting to feel myself again in ways. And then another um, style of yoga, it's, there's a, a woman, oh, I don't know where she is now. She was in North Carolina. Subtle yoga is what she practices and teaches. I think her name is Christine Weber. Her name is Christine Weber. And I've done a lot of training through her online programs because she focuses on yoga and the connection to the brain and the changes, the neuroplastic changes that can be made through yoga. And so her focus on yoga is really she looks at yoga as inner size instead of exercise. So as a way to develop inner awareness and build greater resilience for the nervous system. And those are the things that I have found incredibly beneficial for me is hitting sort of the nervous system side of things, if you will. That's not, yeah, I haven't heard of either one of those. So that's fascinating. I'm going to look into it. I like, um, well, and I've, you know, I heard it, I've heard it be said that, Again, when you're in your struggles, 
kind of you're out of you're not you're not connected right you're kind of Mm -mm. in this other place and so that's why sometimes yoga can be so helpful is that grounding part Mm -hmm. of it and um I just love everything you said about that I love that um you know just I think sometimes when we're given something so I was talking with someone the other day we were talking about meditation versus um she has that like heart math. Do you know about heart math? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we were talking about that. I was asking her about it. She's been a heart math practitioner and she uses it. And um, I was talking to her cause I might, I might start to use that. I feel like, I don't know. I've just, I keep hearing about it. I've interviewed a couple of people on the podcast and they brought it up and that's always my cue to well, maybe you, if you hear this things more than two or three times, maybe you should look mm-hmm. into it. And so we talked about that, like with meditation difference between that and like the heart math and just meditation, you kind of just Zen out and you're just not kind of connected, but with what you're saying with yoga. And I think with this heart math too, you're much more, I don't know. I'm probably not explaining it best with the heart math. I've contacted somebody to try to mm-hmm. interview them for the podcast so I can mm-hmm. learn more about it, but just having that connection um, to your body and that groundedness, mm-hmm. um, it can be a scary place to try to get there, but it's so important. Yeah, it's certainly, I have not had, I wouldn't say it was like the best experience for me because I don't, I don't have a history of any traumatic experience or trauma. Yeah, I I lived through volatility as a child because of my parents, but I don't have PTSD or something like that. And yet coming back into feeling my body was, was and has not been comfortable for me. Like really, really uncomfortable because I also deal with chronic pain so it's not a pleasant place to be all the time in my body and so feeling it and certainly in recovery feeling it like I had I didn't realize until I started to feel it again how little I had actually felt my body in 20 years like it literally was holding my breath for 20 years and barely moving, even though I was moving, but I was not in touch with it at all. So when I started to, it was actually pretty uncomfortable. And so I'm much more, much more comfortable with it now, but certainly there's room to grow and discover. But yeah, it, it can be, it can be scary. Well, it's scary. And it is that, yeah, that's what I've noticed in, as I've started to ballroom dance and I've, realize that that's a form of healing for me, not just enjoyment, but it's become a form of healing. And I realized that I, and with some of the, I did a, went through a mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And just that I felt like, I, I felt like I discovered that I had been kind of going through the motions in so many things mm-hmm. and being a bit numb because of the things around me. And as I started to dance and I still remember, and it gives it gives me like little chills on my fingers. I remember there was one lesson and we were doing the foxtrot. And, you know, as I separated and then came back and took his hand, like I could just, I could feel it. And I just, I don't know, I just went someplace else. And he's like, don't look down. Don't, like I, and I'm like, no, no, I'm good. But it was just, it struck me in that moment. Like, wow, I can actually feel that connection. Mm-hmm. And for so long, I didn't even realize that I had been so numbed out. And so it's, it's a beautiful awakening when those type of things happen. And it does take you, at least with me, it took me by surprise. I'm like, Whoa, what was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's those little moments and they don't, they don't, 
they aren't that grand all the time, but those little moments that you know there's something more to explore, it's very sort of exciting. And as you're telling me that, I'm getting goosebumps because yeah. I can feel, I can feel yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and even that breath, because that's what another one of the, well, they both say, I dance with a couple of gentlemen. They're like, you can breathe now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't realize I hold my breath so much. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, and that's a practice for me too, is to try to, He's like, I don't know. I don't know if you should chew gum during practice. Like he said, I'm trying to figure out how I can get you to make sure you breathe, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm fine. Again, I don't even think about it, but obviously it's something that's been a pattern that I've had. Um, and yet as we breathe, right, there's just more freedom mm-hmm. and, and movement and, you know, relaxation and grounding and things like that. So um it's it's very interesting, but really, again, cool and exciting. And um, we can find in yoga, we can find in dance, when you find these modalities, if you will, that that are really healing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. They can be really healing for us. And it sounds like that's... Yeah, yoga combined with the mindfulness and learning more about my mind, because I've had, oh, my mind goes at speeds that are dizzying and I remember one time sitting in my psychologist's office just like I'm bawling my eyes out and holding my head because I just can't stop it and so just doing yoga without a gentle intention to focus my mind on something can just leave me feeling more chaotic and so it's I really have to not only just not only move the body gently but engage my mind gently so that they come together it's uh, both both practices I think are really important and as well including the breath there mm-hmm. yeah yeah I mean it sounds like you've shared you know I have a question here that I was going to ask you about the things that have helped and you've really shared a lot of that with uh, mindfulness and the yoga um, and things that we've we've talked about you know were there other things like books or you know, things you watched or other types of therapies or, you know, things that you were involved in that really either helped or continue to help you stay on this path of discovery and improvement, if you will. Mm-hmm. It, there's There's been a lot. <laughs> and I wouldn't say I've stuck with one particular thing over all this time. Right now, it's mindfulness and yoga. But um, one, I started exploring the world of energy. If you will, like Reiki and things like that. And one of the energy healing practices that I became interested in is something called HUNA, H-U-N-A. And while I don't have a huge connection energetically to feeling energy, I do in my heart. And the HUNA principles are ones that really sort of resonated with me and especially one of the principles, and I've used this one before, effectiveness is the measure of truth. And so part of my recovery, I really struggled with the fear of getting it wrong. Part of it is a religious upbringing that I have these very black and white, good and bad, right and wrong ways of looking at things. But I always felt that I, for some reason, I was doing it wrong. I was always wrong. And I 
I eventually got to a point where I said, okay, I'm done being wrong. I can't be wrong all the time. There has to be times where I'm okay too. If, if I'm living in a world with billions of other people, why am I the only one that's wrong? And so I sort of disowned that part of me saying, no, I'm not wrong. It's just, this isn't effective for me. And that principle sort of gave me permission to explore things in a different way, not right or wrong, but is it effective for me? And that was, that was a, that was a big one. Yeah. I haven't heard of Huna before uh, myself, although again, I, I've become really quite aware of Reiki and energy work too. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for sharing that. How would you say, again, this wasn't on the list, but mm-hmm. I mean, how would you say that your relationships have changed with, with others or I haven't talked about your parents? I mean, often I'll ask about mother-daughter relationships, but I certainly know that relationships can be impacted when there's someone in struggle and mm-hmm. then in recovery, it can be different. Do you feel like there's, you know, been some change in that as you've been able to come farther along in your healing? Yep, definitely. I have a yeah, eating disorders just mine kept me so into myself and unwilling to share and always felt like uh I was out of control, like I had no control over anything and my relationship with life has just changed in general and I'm not saying that specifically because of the eating disorder recovery I think that's more been on the happiness peace journey for me in that I'm finding different ways to relate to the world so I don't feel so contained in this tiny little box like I'm opening the box and being okay with getting brushed and rubbed the wrong way and tolerating those those difficulties and then also relying on other people which for a long time, I have not been able to do, don't want to ask anybody for help, want to do it on my own, people aren't dependable, all those sorts of things. And so really sort of understanding that the world, the people in my life actually want to help me. And if, but I have to know how to ask them to help me. And so that's been challenging for me to figure out in these moments, like where I get frustrated, think, okay, he or she, they're not the problem. They want to help me. How can I help them know what to do? Because they'll do it. I just have to tell them. And often, and that's, that's the struggle for me, trying to figure out what it is I, I need someone else to do and then ask for it. But yeah, certainly relationships have changed and grown and blossomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think sometimes within that help or support, it's that feeling like you're worthy enough for someone to mm-hmm. help you. You know, speaking, speaking from experience myself. Um, so your podcast, let's tell those listeners what your podcast is, is called and where they can find that. It's called Starving Ed, Ed for Eating Disorders. And I, it grew out of years ago when I first started treatment, I had started a blog and I had called it Starving Ed with, um, you know, the one that, that native story about the two wolves and whichever one you feed wins and so I called the podcast that and I wanted the podcast to be a platform where I could share stories because hearing other people's stories is so can be so beneficial but also 
as a guest being able to share your own story and because feeling heard was a big part of my recovery. It's like a platform where people can feel heard. Like every story is valid. Every story is valid. And so it's on most major podcast player platforms. Um, it's relatively new. There's an episode every other Monday with a guest. And then I do a shorter episode each Thursday, just sharing some of my own experiences and addressing some questions that listeners have sent in. Yeah. Yeah. I like those too. I've, I've listened to a few of those, just kind of your, your musings or your thoughts on thoughts on Thursdays. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I, I have a, I have a sort of, uh, I'm tentative about my approach because when I give answers to people who have asked questions or things, I always want to make it clear that it's just my experience. You know, it's not an answer to the world's problems. It's just, this is one way that I looked at it that could help somebody else take it or leave it again effectiveness is the measure of truth right but i think that again i, I want you to hear that like my editor when he because uh, i do have an editor andrew um say hi to andrew who's listening to this uh he will when hi, he edits andrew. it but um, <laughs> um but he has told me as he's listens to all my episodes he said i'm quite fond when you turn the when you turn the microphone on yourself and he said, it's just this rawness that you have, that I have, he said, that is so relatable. He said, that's so good. And he encourages me to do more of that. So I'll encourage you to do more of that because, again, it's not this finite truth of what we share. But I must say, if you haven't listened to, you know, I had an episode where I had gone into a treatment center locally here to drop some things off for my daughter, said hello to the receptionist, put them in the proper place, turned around and went to walk out. And I saw a mom sitting in the chairs with a son next to her. The son had the clipboard filling things out. And I looked at her and the fear in her eyes was palpable. And I had been there before. And so I went out to my car and I turned on my phone and I recorded an episode and I said, I see you. Hmm. And so again, not that I have all the answers, but I could relate to her because I'd been there before. And that's, I believe, what the purpose of doing this is to just relate our stories and our experiences. And if it's me talking with you so you can share or you going solo, me going solo. I've done it when I've been walking. I've done it in the the um, the parking lot of O'Hare Airport when I've dropped my daughter off one more time to go to one more treatment. Mm. There are so many people that need to hear our stories and I just encourage you, because I know you do a great job, but just to continue to stay outside of that place of, oh, it's not right. It's not perfect. And maybe this isn't the right thing. It's like, who? <laughs> There's billions of people right in the world. And so somebody's mm -hmm. going to relate yeah. to what we're going through. And so we continue to share. Yeah, we continue to share. I got a phone call and a text a couple weeks ago. And this gentleman said, I just need you to hear this. And he told me the impact that because of some, like, because of this, and then as this, and then this person listened, and now this is happening, and you ha are having an impact. So we, I think we need to hear those, I know we need to hear those stories and, and share the stories with mm -hmm. others, because thank someone should be hearing it, you know? Yeah, that's so. what I feel. And thank you for the reminder, because that's still one of the voices in my head that I fight every single day. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And I think, nope, not gonna not gonna stop there everybody's voice deserves to be heard including my own and so yeah thank you yeah everybody's you're welcome everybody's voice matters and um there is um 
there's truth there. So if people don't find you at the Starving Ed podcast, where can they find you, Kristen? Uh, I have a website, mypieceofyoga.com, and pieces spelled P-I-E-C-E. And I'm also on Instagram at the same handle at mypieceofyoga. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. Um, any last words just to, as we wrap this up, I'm so thankful that we've had this time to have a conversation. It's been wonderful speaking with you. I love having the conversations and the people I'm meeting across the world. It's just been wonderful. Thank you for the work that you do. And if anybody would like to contact me who's listening and has questions, I'm available through email, Kristen at mypieceofyoga.com. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Thank you, Kristen. Great. Wonderful tidbits. And again, thank you for sharing your story. And again, the work that you're doing um, and those yoga things, I'm really, I always want to learn. And I always mm -hmm. say that part of the reason why I do this podcast is for me to learn too, because mm -hmm. again, um, there's all kinds of, and that's just, I'm a perpetual learner. So I made some notes and I'm <laughs> going to look into that. And I just love those. So thanks for sharing again. Thanks listeners for for coming back to listen and, and please continue to share, because again, that's where I can, I keep hearing this like, well, I shared your podcast with somebody and they're now doing this, or they thanked me for this or whatever the case is. So continue to share. If you like our podcast, be it Kristen's or mine, please rate, review, share, give us five stars, all those kind of things. Cause that's how we continue to get our, um, our stories out. So thanks again for listening. Thanks again, Kristen. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.